pearls that you'd like to tell anyone who's suffering with an addiction, whether it's a sex addiction or a food addiction or a drug addiction or a negative thinking addiction? The biggest thing is to take a step back and take a breath and just ask, ask your higher self who you are, like who you're meant to be in this lifetime and then listen and know that you're worth it. Like any, I know it seems like an insurmountable thing to overcome an addiction, but it's not. I, I tell you, I was as addicted as they come. And if I can do it, you can do it. And you are worth it. And that's the biggest thing is deciding that you're worth it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always tell people that your higher power, whoever that is, does not create crap. You know, <laughs> and they're, there's nothing you can do to add to your self-worth and there's nothing you can do to subtract from it. So you are just worthy of love, no matter what, no matter what you've done. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow, I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive. I just wanted to put a little note at the beginning of this show to remind you to subscribe or go to my uh, website and sign up to my email list. (laughs) Getting a little bit more professional, getting people to opt into what we've got uh, coming up in the weeks to come or to join our Inner Sanctum. Or if you are loving the shows and you want to donate to the shows, there is a link, a PayPal link that you can donate if you're receiving uh, guidance from these shows because I put them out for free. Don't ask you to opt into an email. I just put them all out there for free. So if you feel that you want to give back, I'd love you to do that. And or you can go if, and listen to the shows on the website, karenswain.com. You'll see the shows there. And um, if you want to buy the books of any of the sh- guests that I have on the show, I have an affiliate link, which gives me a couple of cents if you buy the Amazon, if you use the Amazon affiliate link to get the books. So that's really going to help me support the show. And thanks again for watching. I've got Karen Seltz coming up talking about her journey with sex addiction and transforming her life. She's now coaching people how to return to spirit and their inner being and overcome their stressful, limiting program thoughts. That's what we're all doing here. So that's going to be a beautiful interview. Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating Positive. So great to be with you again. I've got a gorgeous, delicious, isn't she gorgeous, beautiful person to introduce you to today. And we're going to have an amazing conversation. Karen has an incredible story to share with you all. Let me welcome to the show, Karen. Karen Seltz is her name. Thank you so much, Karen. It is such a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. Don't you love the way she says my name? She says, Karen, yeah. And even though she's a Karen, we talked about this before. I won't go into that. But uh, yeah, I was saying to Karen before, you know, Americans think it's my accent that I say my name this way, but actually it's not there's a reason behind it which many of you will know let me read a karen's bio and tell you a little bit about karen 
She is has been certified as a life coach and brain gym consultant. I love that. Brain gym consultant for over 16 years and has a master's of education in counseling. She's a transformational public speaker, spiritual life coach, who's on a mission to create a world in which every woman knows her worth and her purpose and commits to showing up in big value every moment of her life and playing full out. <laughs> That's pretty big. <laughs> Karen supports spiritual women who know they are here for a higher calling in stepping out of their own comfort zones with courage and the power to create the life of their dreams. She's a strong, she takes a strong stand for her clients with her loving fun yet no BS approach. Love that. I'm a bit like that too. I have a no BS approach as well. Karen fearlessly, and this is what she's going to do today, shares her darkest moments of depression, addiction and spiritual confusion with openness and vulnerability. And uh, she connects with each client in a profound and insightful way to allow her knowledge, uh, the reason her, uh, uh, sorry, I messed that up, way to allow her to acknowledge the reason she is here, living her purpose and making a meaningful contribution connection by sharing her unique story and special skills with the world. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to share Karen's story and tell you a little bit about what she's up to as a life coach. And uh, again, welcome to the show, Karen. Thanks, Karen. Can't wait. So, you know, it all started with addiction. Do you want to talk, like, where do we start in your journey? Because uh, you, you've got an amazing story. So it was a sex addiction. I just looked at the clock, 10, 10. Um, a sexual addiction I think we all have an addiction we all have addictions to uh, one way of being you know some and it plays out very differently with people but basically we get addicted to our negative thinking don't we and then we put and yes. that plays out as um, that plays out as how we act in our lives so what happened for you how did it start well I think I was the youngest of three children and the only girl mm. and so I grew up with the message that being female was weak, like acting like a girl was a bad thing. Right. And then I also had a father that was not sexually abusing me, but he was sexualizing me. So, right. you know, he would say things like, you can do whatever you want on a date as long as you keep a penny between your knees. Or like guys only want one thing you know, just things that were really inappropriate to say to your girl that you love. Mm -hmm. And, and then I had brothers too, that gave me this message that, um, like if a girl starts something with me, she better finish it. So I grew oh up with all these, you know, ideas coming at me and I believed them yeah. and it, it played out where I was seeking validation all the time from men. And um, I only felt as lovable and as worthy as my partner. And mm -hmm. after my marriage dissolved, it was partner after partner after partner. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, nothing stuck. And so it took more and more to get any type of good feelings and uh, you know eventually it came to a head and the pain was greater than my desire to stay the same you know mm -hmm. so well, I think as women we're all given those messages aren't we that uh, to be worthy of whatever it is we're looking for love I suppose 
we have to be beautiful, we have to be sexy. I mean, it's just still rife in our society. Just look on Instagram and all these girls just looking gorgeous and sexy and tits hanging out and ass hanging out. And <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's just such a huge message women are given like that, that their worth is about what they look like and how sexy they are. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of women in the world that do not, you know, condone that like many, but um, yeah, it is a message that's still very prominent in our society. Yeah. And then with the proliferation of pornography, you know, that's what we feel a lot of us that we have to compete with and it makes it really difficult. And, you know, in the rooms, the addiction, you know, 12 step rooms, there are tons of guys in there with porn addictions mm. and, you know, mainstream thinks it's okay. And I, I think it's just a thief of intimacy. Yeah, a thief of intimacy. Oh, that's yeah. It's a great way yeah. of saying it. So how did it play out? What what was happening in your life when you were, you know, trying to get something that you wanted through this addiction? Just give us some examples of what was happening. Mm. Um, it kind of started when I had a my second daughter who was born prematurely with a bunch of special needs. Right. And it just came to a head, like some abandonment issues were triggered in me when my nanny quit. It was really interesting. And um, my ex-husband wasn't helping me and wah, wah, wah. And I thought things should be different. And um, she was having a surgery, a neurosurgery on her skull. And I was really scared really scared because she was like 17 months old and tiny still. And I thought, I can't handle this. I cannot handle it. And I needed to escape somehow. And before that, I used to numb out with shopping, but I started working less when my children were born. So I didn't really have the money to do that. And then um, I went for a massage and it happened to be a man. Mm -hmm. And um, all these lovely feelings were awakened in me as he touched my body. And um, I started having an affair with him. And when that stopped being enough, I added another person. Right. You know, and then it just was never enough. So mm -hmm. I just, you know, would add people <laughs> instead of subtracting any. <laughs> so like if they weren't there right when I wanted them to be. I would add somebody and there was this feeling of panic. Like I could be right in the middle of having sex and I would be struck with panic. Like, oh, when am I going to get to do this again? Really? And it was, it was frightening for me. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. So in the middle of um, satisfying the craving you're still thinking of the next sort of hit in yes. a way. Yeah. Like, so I wasn't. It's almost like someone shoving cake in the mouth or shooting up heroin and saying, when's the next one before they're even finished this one? Wow. Yeah. That's so fascinating. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Did you understand the mindset at the time or do you understand it now? What was going on with you? Well, it was all fear-based and running away from myself because I thought I was so inadequate and so unworthy and I needed 
that validation to feel like I mattered at all. Right. Like, otherwise, why bother existing? And I could go from being on top of the world, like a fake high, really, to being suicidal in a matter of seconds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what was happening with your family? Was that sort of imploding while this was going on? Absolutely. My ex-husband was deep into his alcohol and pornography addiction. And right. um, yeah. Yeah. So we had, we really had no intimacy and almost no relationship outside of a physical one. So, and um, what happened, how I ended up getting help was I got an STD and I had to tell him. Right. And he just imploded and he just went way downhill and we stayed together for a little while and he was just so angry that I said, this is just not healthy. <laughs> so, so I decided to sort of get help. I mean, I, I started going to 12 step just to kind of appease him, but I wasn't ready to stop yet because mm -hmm. I had kind of just started. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. It just makes no sense now, but that's how it was. <laughs> and so I went for, I don't know, a year or two, like once a week, I would go to this 12 step program and still continue doing what I was doing and feeling like a fraud, like everywhere. You know, yeah. I had no authenticity at all. I had no but idea who I was. Interesting that you said, you know, he had his porn addiction and alcohol. It's like, like attracts like, you know, Absolutely. you might have confessed and said, okay, I've been having affairs and looking for love in all the wrong places. And he might be pointing the finger in you and saying, you're terrible, but he's doing the same thing. <laughs> like, you just got to get real. Like life's a wall of mirrors. You know, if someone's in your life, yeah. they're mirroring a part of you. So, um, I suppose we all have to get real, which is something that happened to me in my relationships. If I was judging my husband or partner for something I didn't like about him, I just had to get real and say, oh, actually, that's pretty much me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's what I can tell clients now is like, where is that me? You know, how am I projecting that? Mm -hmm. exactly. So what, so what was the epiphany for you? So you went to the 12 step program. It's interesting when I'm thinking about this. You know, the thing about addiction is that it's a thought that the action is going to get you something that you want. And then the thought is that you need to get that thing that you want, that, that whatever it is that you're craving, be it food or sex or alcohol or relationships or heroin, whatever it is that you're craving, that you need that in order to feel good. That's the lie, isn't it? That's, that's the lie in all addiction. It's the lie in life, actually. It's like when I'm, when I'm successful enough, when I'm rich enough, when I'm a mother, when I'm, a, when I'm married, that's when I'll be happy. Mm. Yeah. And, so, and I really thought that because of my, my fantastic skills in this area, that somebody would fall in love with me and save me. I, right. I really thought that. Yeah. Yep. That's the Cinderella story, isn't it? The prince comes. <laughs> yeah. <to save> you. <laughs> I don't know why that did not happen. 
Actually, I saw someone online recently talking about how Cinderella was so bad. A couple of girls, that's right, and they were saying, you know, us women standing up for women's rights, we're not Cinderella's, that Cinderella story, we feed our children, it's not good. And I thought about the Cinderella story. You know, the thing about the Cinderella story is it is a story of deliberate creation and law of attraction. Because Cinderella is in these really dire circumstances where her dad has died and she's got the evil stepmother and the stepsisters are treating her bad. And she actually stays happy regardless of her circumstances. And she makes friends with the mice and the birds. So even though she has no friends, she talks to the animals or you could call those animals your you know, spirit or guides. And mm -hmm. she actually loves her life regardless of her circumstances. And that's when the dream of the prince you know, becomes manifest because she's actually already in love with herself regardless of her circumstances. So I actually think the Cinderella story is a really empowering story, although her dream is for the prince. But whatever it is that we dream of, we can have it when we're, you know, loving life as it is, regardless of the circumstances. So Yeah, absolutely. When did you wake up to, like, what happened on your transformational process? Because obviously now you're a transformational spiritual coach and helping people overcome their negative addictions. Yeah, several things. I mean, I hit, I don't know how many bottoms. Um, right. I, I almost lost my best friend because I used her house key to act out in her house. Right. You know, just all kinds of things, but that wasn't enough for me. You know, I had to hit in more bottoms. And what happened was I got in touch with a life coach and he said to me, you have to stop the addictive behavior if you want your life to be any different. And, and for some reason, it was the right message at the right time. I mean, it's so simple. And I said, well, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> because you believed that the addictive behavior would bring you what you wanted. Like you're inside I, a smokescreen. Somebody says, this is not good. You're hurting your family. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting your kids, your husband. And the belief is, yeah, but this is going to bring me what I want. Yeah, yeah, so much. I was buying my own BS is what it was. <laughs> and that's why, <laughs> that's why in my bio I say that, you know, like I could, I could see through the BS. Yeah, yeah. My yeah. poor children, right? Oh, well, we all live and learn. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm not going to buy their BS stories. You know. Right. Oh, yeah. You're not going to buy the BS story. Yeah. Talk, talk, talk about it. My daughter will tell you the same. Um, so I made a decision to stop. And um, I was actually acting out, really. Um, that's what we call it when we're in our addiction. Mm -hmm. uh, we call it acting out. So I was acting out with a guy that I actually kind of liked. And for the first time in my life, I was willing to tell him he was in AA. I told him, you know, I need to take a step back because I'm in active addiction. He knew I was an addict, but he didn't know I was in active addiction because he chose to ignore that, you know, because that's what we were doing. We were having a sexual relationship very soon, mm. but he ignored that fact. Anyway, I took a step back. I said, I need at least 30 days on my own of complete like celibacy. And so I did that and I needed it to kind of reset my mind because there's like, people don't think about it when it comes to things that aren't alcohol and drugs, but there is a chemical 
addiction. You know, mm-hmm. I was addicted to those chemicals that were being produced in my brain. And there is a withdrawal, like a physical withdrawal that can be painful, just like drugs and alcohol. So what does and, that look like when you're withdrawing from? Um, so it can look like physical pain. Right. Um, lots of emotions surfacing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in a house where it was not okay to express many emotions, especially the crying kind. Mm-hmm. And I would go to these 12 step meetings and people would be, it would be all men and me. And they would be telling their stories and I would start talking and I would be like sobbing, sobbing because every emotion that I'd stuffed down for all these years was coming up. It finally had a place to live, yeah. <laughs> to be expressed, you know? And um, so, yeah, lots of emotions, a lot of up and down emotions, like a lot of erratic, like, (laughs) almost like a bipolar until you find your equilibrium. It's really interesting. And then um, some other interesting things can happen, like people that you acted out with before will come out of the woodwork and start like kind of tempting you. Right. It's very bizarre. And that's yeah. actually in our book that that is one of the things that can happen. So that actually happened. Like some of when, my most tempting people started When you say in, in our book, is that the AA book? The SAA book. The SAA book, the Sex Addiction. Yeah, yeah. Sex right. Addicts Anonymous. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay, interesting. But I think that's life, Karen. When yeah. you start cleaning up your negative thoughts, and you start thinking differently about yourself. I remember this so well. I was at the lights once thinking how I had had a um, test, not, not the best word, but something had come up and instead of responding differently, I had responded in an old way. And I thought, damn, I did it again. <laughs> you know, I believed my stressful thoughts again. And, and then I remember being at the lights, talking to my mob as I do, you know, like chatting away going, okay, I can do it better okay, test me again, test me again. I remember turning at the lights and thinking, did I just ask them to do that? And thinking, (laughs) life's now going to throw some more challenges at me and say, okay, how are you going to respond to this? And, but yeah, so that's life. It doesn't have to be, that's just just life. I think we're all addicted to our stressful thoughts. Yeah, that's a great idea to ask to be tested again because you know it's coming anyway. It's going to come anyway. Yeah, (laughs) You might as well be part of it. Yeah, be deliberate in it, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so and so you probably failed and won some of them you probably yeah the thought is yeah. that i need this in order to feel good oh yeah it's the same with food oh, you know i think that we have in the west we have a we all have an addiction to um carbohydrates we have a predominantly mm. carbohydrate which is sugar right which is brain food it's an addictive it's a chemical process it's a mental process you go out into the streets and there are these beautiful cake shops and pasta shops and it's all so beautiful and tempting. America's terrible too with all the obesity. It's Australia's the same too. It's just this. So I was watching a television commercial that were advertising pizza or something and they said, come in and feed your addiction. And I'm like, mm. what? it's like we are we're all addicted in some way to something yeah and there is yeah i agree Mm. yeah 
sugar. I know. I said, why can't it be something healthy like exercise or something? Yeah, that's what I say too. I wish I was addicted to exercise. Well, some people do. Yeah. Some people are addicted to exercise and they go get yeah. that endorphin hit when they run or something and they can kind of overdo that as well. You know, you can overdo it. Uh, so when did the penny drop and you, you started to see the stressful thoughts for what they were and not and not who you had to be. It took a while. So I took 40 days was my initial period that kind of reset my biology and yeah. allowed me some space to think. Yeah. And you know, I was doing lots of prayer meditation during that time and um just really connecting yeah. to my higher source and trusting and doing, you know, cliche, but one day at a time and trying not to be in the future. Like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to have sex for a month, you know, just because that doesn't work. You have to be present and be with what is. And so, I mean, it took quite a while, but um, at least I could access reason and logic after that 40 day period or sometime in there. I'm like, oh, I'm thinking more clearly now. And I, the cravings weren't so strong. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you could access reason and um, logic. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Instead of being completely run by your thoughts. Because, yeah. you know, one of my favorite teachers, and I do this work with my clients, and you probably do too in some form or another, is the work by Byron Katie. Yes. And, you know, to challenge your stressful thoughts. And a stressful thought can be, I want this, I need this, I have to have it, I have to have it, I have to have it. You know, it can even be, I see it, I guess if I have any addiction, it would be to that sort of carbohydrate thing. Oh, I really want, you know, something sweet or something bread or something. I have to have it, I have to have it. Like you see, and inside that stressful thought of whatever you think it is that you really need in that moment, there is no logic, is there, or reason. There's no logical reason. No. Yeah. There's not. I had also what we like to call entitlement. Like I deserve this. Right. You know, like, and, and I could justify anything. Like right. The reason that I deserved to feel good or, you know, to have that hot guy or whatever. Yeah. To be adored <laughs> and yeah, all the rest of it. Yeah. It's so interesting because sex and food too is such a natural part of life and exercise as we say, and we take it to the extreme. Like we can, uh, we can sort of look at a, alcoholic or a drug addict and say oh you know they've got a problem because it's this unnatural part of life you know they're ingesting something that doesn't have to be ingested but sex and food is something as human beings we need to do <laughs> i mean unless you're yeah. a monk but even right. if you're a monk or a nun you still need to know how to move your sexual energy even if you're not having sex because it's a natural part of being physical you know to move that sexual energy through your body i mean the monks have been taught how to do that moving up that energy through their kundalini but the poor old priests and stuff in catholic churches are not taught about that and then they do all these horrendous things like rape young boys yeah it just comes out sideways because yeah. it's got to go somewhere got to go yeah. somewhere yeah. yeah it's interesting with the like you say like food and sex because they're process addictions and they're it's not like like we're in my program we define our own sobriety 
And for me, like compulsive masturbation, for example, was never a big issue. Mine was always getting validation from somebody else. Right. So, but some people can never masturbate again. And, you know, and it's, they're not taught how to, what to do with that sexual energy. So that would be really important work to, especially in this country, because we're still so puritanical in some ways. It's really interesting. It is. It is. It's, yeah, look, it's, um, I know, I know, like, you know, I didn't bring my daughter up in any religion. And yet I saw her demonstrating beliefs that religion really indoctrinates into you about it's not okay to be a woman and to want to have sex. It's a sin in some way, you know, like, and I'm thinking, really? It's like, that's not what I taught her or her school taught her. It's just a collective thought form that we pick up, we buy into. It's like a stream of energy that we just step in and just get swept up in, you know, like it's not okay for a woman, you know, if a woman wants sex, then she's a slut. <laughs> if a man right. wants sex, then he's a stud. And, so, and um, you know, lie back and think of England. Don't enjoy it because sex is a sin and all this stuff. And um, so confusing. So confusing. Yeah, we wonder why there's so much sexual dysfunction. And, yeah. you know, I, it's interesting too. I was just thinking about my beliefs. I always thought... I had these beliefs that if I wasn't everything to a man sexually, right. that he would cheat on me. Right. And that was a big fear, like the fear of abandonment. And Ooh, I'm thinking of a girlfriend, not mentioning any names, but she was actually raped when she was a little girl. Very beautiful, like very beautiful girl, very tall, very delicious, gorgeous body, divine. She keeps her body very beautiful. And when you said that, I just immediately thought of her. I think that that's how that played out in her life as well. And she just went off to part from part. She's been married for quite a few years now, um, but she just went from partner to partner. And she could because she was just, she is still drop dead gorgeous. You just see her and go, you know, like she's like almost six foot and just looks like a supermodel. And so, um, but yeah, if I'm not, yeah. Okay, so how did you overcome these thoughts? <laughs> the people that are well, relating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All these light bulbs going off. Well, that, it's really interesting. I trained my ex-husband to be so codependent on me because of my fear of abandonment. I did everything for him and I wanted to be the best at everything. And I was a praise junkie. So I wanted to be the best cook. I wanted to be the best at sports, the best partner, the best at parties, you know, it was ridiculous. (laughs) And it took a lot of unhooking from that in future relationships and a lot getting to know myself. Like that's not who I need to be. That's not who I am. So I don't need to pretend anymore. And um, a lot of identity crisis really, because I used to do comedy as well but it was all sexual. Right. All of it. So like, who am I without a sex joke? I mean, like I, you could, I could take anything anybody said and like turn it just like yeah. that and make it a sex joke. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, well, I'm not funny anymore. I'm not the life of the party. You know, now I'm like this quiet spiritual person. <laughs> it's like, where did I go? <laughs> but you know, I come out and play and have fun. I'm just, oh, it's, it's just different. I'm thinking about, 
you know, people that have become really successful in whatever they've done, like movie stars or singers or rock singers or stuff like that, they, um, this, this need for praise, that's an addiction too. You know, often these people have these incredibly magical, beautiful lives, but they're actually, they create it through an addiction. I'm actually thinking of someone like Madonna, right? Mm. They, they act out, play out and, and then they sort of hit middle age and they think being rich and famous and adored is actually not all what it's cracked up to be. <laughs> it's not bringing me what I want, which is ultimately that connection to your inner self, isn't it? That, that place Absolutely. of um, connection to the in, you know, your source, God within you, the love within you. It doesn't come from anything outside of you as much as it looks good. Right. Yeah, that's the big delusion on this planet, isn't it? For, yeah. for all of us. And I have to say, like, for me, it took me a really long time to get to the point where I was okay not dating. You know, yeah. like, right now I've been single for about two years and I have not died. <laughs> and, and that was what my addiction would tell me. Like, that will kill you. You will die. I mean, it was really that loud. And I believed it. And um, nope, I'm still here. And I'm enjoying life so much more because I'm not a slave to it. Because that's what it was. It's uh, just, yeah, being a slave to that addiction and to those thoughts. I haven't dated out free. So interesting. Well, I think the freedom gets bigger. But, you know, I've been letting go of my beliefs and stressful thoughts for a long time. But I, you know, like, I've got people coming over to my house for meetings. I'm a part of a tribe that are putting on a big festival here in Sydney in next year, a big love festival, right? And so they're using my mm. house as a place to meet, to talk about it. But I'm, I'm someone who was a little like you, had to look after everybody and feed everybody. I think I'm kind of addicted to being mother in a way. And I haven't had anyone over to my house since I really moved here for six years and I thought, gee, I should have people over. But the thought was, if they come over, then I have to cook for everybody and I have to look after everybody. Then, you know, and I just was too busy to, to look after and feed everybody. Like I have to clean up and I have to feed. So I've got that addictive thought coming up when people are just, and I'm thinking, I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. You know, I can leave the food on the stove and they can just help themselves. Like I don't have to do everything for everybody. That's an addiction that I'm bumping yeah. up against. Yeah, yeah, more too, and right? more layers. What'd you say? I think you've got that one too, right? Absolutely, to, like yeah. more and more layers keep coming down. Like when you get rid of the big ones, okay, I'm not acting out sexually anymore. Okay, what's next? Okay, right. I'm addicted to negative thinking, thinking, you know, those patterns. All right, so let's work on some of those. And then what comes next? That one just came up for me. Like the idea that to be a good mother, I have to cook everything from scratch mm -hmm. and it takes a long time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're, they're always there. There's always more work to do. <laughs> I know. This was, you know, still, now at least I can laugh at it. It's yeah. Like, oh, yeah. There's another one. If we're still in the body, then there's still more work to do, isn't there? <laughs> Absolutely. No yeah. Matter how, no matter how enlightened we become. Um, <laughs> how are you coping with all of this? And you know, bringing up uh, being a single mom and running a business and, and dealing with your addictive mental processes. Like not only do you have to be everybody to everyone, you have to look good all the time and 
be sexy, you know, like that's hard work. Um, yeah, it is. So I've let go of a lot of the perfectionism. Right. So I don't necessarily look like this on most days, only if I'm filming. <laughs> Do you know what that Karen? <laughs> I still got that. I wish I could just go on camera, you know, without the makeup and be okay with it. But I'm just still not. I'm still like, nope, I've still got to put my makeup on. Yeah. Yeah. I look at my, my daughter, pimples everywhere. You know, she's late 20s and she's gorgeous. She so is free of that. Like she's so free. I, you know, I talked about this when we talked on your show. Right. Um, that she's so free of it. And mm. I love that she's like that, but I'm not yet, you know, like yeah, I I'm not quite there. Not quite there yet. Yeah. I had, I had a mother who said, you're going to go out like that, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Or she yeah. even did it to my daughter when we were there. She's like, that doesn't match. And my daughter was like eight or something. And my mom's going through her own closet, trying to find her something that matched. <laughs> I know. Eight. I I have a sister-in-law who is an absolute perfectionist. And I have to say, you know, she's late 50s and she looks amazing. But she says to me, you know, if I get under 70, whatever, three kilos, I panic. And I'm like, you panic? Like you panic? Like I'm quite overweight. So I don't panic if I'm overweight. But I'm thinking just because you're a kilo heavier than you normally are, you panic. I mean, how's that? It's not a way to live your life, panicking because of a kilo. Um, but her mother was the culprit and then her mother was the culprit and her mother who died a couple of, a year or so ago, just over a year ago in her 90s, bless her heart, she was beautiful. She used to tell me how fat I was all the time. And, <gasps> oh, my dear, you really have to lose some weight. You used to, <laughs> she, know me, she knew me as a child, you used to be so beautiful. You just have to lose some weight. You know, you used to be. And I said to her, oh, Joni, will you love me more if I'm thinner? And she said, no, of course not. And I said, well, then what does it matter? <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> she, couldn't, she couldn't compute it because she was so convinced that looking good was the most important thing in life. Like, yeah. you have to look good. You, you know, keeping up appearances, like that was her mindset. And, um, yeah, she went to her grave with that one. She's dying in the hospital, putting on her makeup and lipstick, trying to still look good as her body is just failing. It's just it's bizarre. It's bizarre. So you and I can work on that one. <laughs> <laughs> we're working on that one. The, the next interview, we're going. We're going, we're going makeup free. <laughs> <laughs> well, not naked, naked, but you know, <laughs> makeup free. I actually did that in a class like it was advanced coaching and we did this out of the box coaching and I'm like let's let's do this I'll, I'll go deep if I take off my mask so I took off my makeup in front of a room full of people one of which was like a hot guy that was big right and um, then I took my contacts out and put my coke bottle glasses on and I was sobbing no they're coke bottles so my eyes are like little tiny dots. Right. I was sobbing because I was, I just wanted to be invisible. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was huge for me. You know, just, it was the first time I was willing to really reveal myself like that. It, it, it was really vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. It is to be seen. Yeah. I know, I know. The illusion is that this is who I am, this body. And, you know, the message here is 
when you really get tapped into who you are, because I struggle with this every day because I'm getting older and wrinklier and fatter. And, but when you're really tapped into who you are, that love shines out of you no matter what you look like and people see that. You know, they don't see your wrinkled skin or your Coke bottle glasses or whatever. They just, they see your light. They see your light. Like there's so many great examples of that in the world. Like Nick Vujicic, he's got no arms and no legs. No worries, mate. You know, like the guy's just a torso and a head. And he's got a billion and a half followers because he's such a light. And yeah. There's just so many examples of that. People that have had extraordinary accidents and their face has been shot off or burnt or, and um, yeah, who we are is not this body we're wearing. Uh, This body we're wearing is just a composition of chemicals, but it is absolutely um, impacted by the light we bring. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. Mm. It, it reminds me of, I was working with one of my sponsees, so that's somebody I sponsored. Right, right. Program, yeah. And we were going through her fear inventory. And one of her fears was being attractive. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? So we broke, broke them down. Like, okay, if, if you're attractive, what does that mean? Okay, and then what does that mean? And then, you know, down and down and down. If she felt she was attractive, that must mean she was stupid, uh, which means she's unlovable. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Like when you break down your fears like that, it can go deep really quickly. If I'm attractive, because yeah, blondes are stupid, right? What does it say? Dumb blonde? Um, yeah. or, so beauty is stupid. Yeah. Or I suppose the other paradigm that we buy into too is that if you're a if you're a football player, if you're a guy, you know, and you're buffed and beautiful, then you're stupid too. And, right. Um, I, you know, I know Hay House in Australia, Australia Hay House has this footballer who had, had a bit of a, a spiritual epiphany. So he's out there talking about his emotions and spirituality as this buffed footballer. And the paradigm is that if you're a big buffed sort of strong guy, you're stupid, but you're great to make money off to watch football but don't be anything else yeah there's so yeah. many crazy paradigms and right stereotypes we buy into yeah and she was using it to her detriment like she would not wear any makeup like, right. ever like it's just really interesting how it can go the other way as well well i relate to that i have to say when i was younger and and very attractive i had a lot of male attention and I didn't like it. Like I, um, I think that I wanted people to see my mind or my soul and not my body. It was something that was really strong in me. So I put on a lot of weight when I was young because I just didn't want the attention. And uh, interestingly enough, when I fell pregnant, I lost heaps of weight because all of a sudden I was off the table. Like as a pregnant woman, there was no one was going to have sexual advances like I was out of bounds. Do you know what I mean? And so being mm-hmm. out of bounds sexually meant that I could take off this um, padding, this protection, and I just lost right. stacks of weight when I was pregnant. And I've never been thinner <laughs> when I was pregnant. And then as soon as I had the baby, put all the weight back on and then some, a thousand. So, um, 
that was the that's the story that I've been playing now that I'm middle-aged and still carrying the weight it's just become this sort of habit like the body is in this sort of rut and this habit uh, although the story's not there anymore it's like the story's not there anymore but the body has been reacting to that story and carrying that weight for so many years it's interesting isn't it yeah and, and a lot of times it's it's not just metaphorical you know what I mean it's figurative it's it's real like you're carrying the burden of being attractive whatever that meant to you yeah 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 it meant um that I was a sex object and I didn't want to be like yeah. I wanted yeah I wanted people to listen to what I had to say I suppose or actually I didn't even know that at the time I think that it's all part of the soul contract you know you come in with a bit of a soul contract and mm -hmm. um, so I came in as a teacher but I didn't you couldn't tell me that when I was in my 20s I didn't know that but it's still speaking to us even through our addictions, you know. Yeah. I you must have been listening to the calling because you know, the reason that you're out there as a transformational coach today and not in some, you know, asylum rocking back and forth <laughs> is because you were listening to your soul speaking to you. When, yeah, absolutely. When did, you, when did you hear it? What was happening? Oh, my gosh, a long time ago. Like I found these index cards that said i am a transformational public speaker and they're like 20 years old but i was too afraid to listen to that calling i'm like well what do i speak about you know i don't have anything to speak about mm -hmm. and so i really needed this i needed this journey and i also went through quite a bit of depression uh, before my addiction even got really really strong and prevalent I had a car accident and prior to that accident, I was an extremely physical being. Like everything that my identity was wrapped up in was physical. You know, I lift weights, I do martial arts, I run, I play tennis, da da da. You know, who are you? I'm this physical being. I am this body. Yeah. I really believe that. And after my car accident, I couldn't do any of those things. So I, it hit me at an identity level. And I was a mess. I was suicidal. All oh. I did was watch Chinese movies for like six months. How <laughs> horribly how depressing. <laughs> how old were you when the car accident happened? I was 29. Oh, okay. And how old were you when your mom died? Because you said when you interviewed me that, you know, your awakening was when your mom died as well. Yeah, that was a big part of it. So I was like 48 when that happened. Mm -hmm. And what happened to you? How did you experience that? Uh, her death was like a big wake-up call for me um, because I realized it was her voice that I was hearing that was telling me to play small. Like, who do you think you are to want to influence people? You know, who's going to want to listen to you? Don't get too big for your britches, you know. Um, right. people with money think they're better than everybody else. People with education think they're better than everybody else. You know, all those messages and all telling me that I was unacceptable unless I was small. Wow. And I wanted her love more than I wanted to, you know, go after my dreams. So once she passed away, I quit my job and I started, uh, my coaching full time and 
you know, I, I struggled a lot in the beginning. It, it took a while and I was still up against those limiting beliefs and yeah. 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 But, but I grew. Yeah. I know. It's such a beautiful thing to do. I know the voice of your mother, the voice of my mom, you know, like, as I told you when we were chatting, mum was very beautiful too. And, uh, but she died at 50 of cancer when I was about 16. But her voice was treat them mean, keep them keen, right? That was something she used to say all the time. Say treat, it again. Treat them mean, keep them keen. It's a kind of an oh. Treat them mean, keep them keen. So as, as referring to boys. So it's kind of like don't show people that you love them and adore them. You know, be this sort of aloof like I don't need you, I don't care. And they're kind of like I need you, I want you because you don't want me, I want you even more. That It's just this stupid crazy game that didn't work for mum and I think I was in my 30s after my first divorce kind of dating crazy men again and thinking oh my god all the men are still crazy so it's not the men it's me I got it so I did the whole I'm not going to date beautiful young girl but just hiatus for two years like just turned everything off turned off my sexual energy and just did the inward work and then I had this boyfriend and that voice is coming up to him and keep okay. And I'm like, no, no. And he goes, do you like me? And I'm like, <laughs> gosh, yes. And I'm telling him how much I think he's gorgeous. And it freaked him out, I have to say. But I was telling him what I thought instead of hiding what I thought. Like treat him and keep him keen. And what's the worst thing that can happen, right? You tell someone how much you love them and then they dump you for somebody else. That's exactly what happened with this guy. <sighs> so I realized that fear because I think that's a big fear in everybody that if you admit to somebody that you're in love with them or you love them or you you know that they'll reject your love I think that that's a big fear and especially young people get get over it when you're older a bit and uh, he left me for his best friend because he said to his best friend, oh, I've met this girl and I think she's fantastic. And the best friend said, but you adore me. You're not allowed to adore other people. And so she, oh. did, she did her best to get him <laughs> and did. So he dumped me. And then he comes back, you know, with his tail between your legs because that was just some control drama game that she was playing as well. Like everyone's just trying to control everybody else through their own addictive yeah. thoughts. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And I always thought, you know, people that respond to that meanness or that aloofness, it's like a low self-esteem thing. Like, yeah, I, it's interesting as low as my self-esteem was, I never would put up with that. Like I had very high self-esteem when it came to relationships. I thought I was a prize. (laughs) I really did. I thought you would be so lucky to have me because I will treat you like a king. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. So where are you now with it all? I suppose you're still, you know, you're still growing, still learning, but I guess you're focused more on helping others than Yeah. So exactly. I'm I'm focused more outward instead of inward, but th- well that's not true. All right, let me let me rephrase that. So I focus inward first, you know, and with my connection with what I call God or spirit. And from that place, I serve, Yeah, connect with others. And whatever comes through me is how I am of service. Mm -hmm. And so I was three years sober in July. Mm -hmm. 
I haven't, you know, engaged in any addictive sexual behaviors for almost three and a half years, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I got certified as a coach when I was still active in my addiction, but I refused to coach anyone because I'm like, how am I going to coach somebody when I'm doing this? I'm like, I'm not a hypocrite, you know, of all things, you know, because I judge that to be one of the worst things. <laughs> yeah, well, that's interesting because there's plenty of hypocrites out there. You know, there's plenty, yeah. there's plenty of pastors that are telling you how you can't do stuff because you go to hell and yet they're doing it. You know, like there's plenty right. of life coaches telling you what to do and yet they do it. Like there's plenty of hypocrites out there. Yeah, I, th- I just believe that you just got to own who you are no matter what you're doing. If you're helping people, you just got to fess up. Like I still have these, I do with my, you know, I'm always telling my clients, this is who I am or this is who I've been or, you know, I can relate because I've been there. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm definitely on the journey and, you know, I still have moments, lots of them, you know, where I'm thinking negative thoughts about myself, but now I catch myself, you know, a lot quicker. <laughs> yeah. Whereas before I would let it go on for days or weeks. You know, now right. it's like a few minutes. I'm like, oh, that's going. I see where that's going. And right. then I can do something, you know, use some tools to go to a higher vibrational thought. Yeah. And it helps to have um, other people in your life that you're pro- like, okay, so, so you've got the online um, series. You know, I've got the happinessguru.net and the mindbodyspiritsynchronicity.com, which is the online interview series featuring more than 20 of today's leading experts on what it takes to lead a fully expressed, happy, healthy, connected and fulfilling life, which is what you've been really focused on in the last, I don't know, a couple of months, I suppose. And you've yeah. released it now. How has that helped you transform, like talking to all these people? Oh, my gosh. I've talked to a lot of people. It's been amazing because the response has been fantastic from this series so far and people are accepting my gift to talk to me. So all these people are booking calls and I'm talking to people all over the world and it just feels really good to be able to shift people, you know, even a change of perspective. I consider that a win and Everybody I've talked to has had some kind of change of perspective and it's, uh, it just fills me up. Yeah. yeah. It just feels great. Yeah. So do you want to tell people about the online seminar and how they can get involved? Yeah. So you can go to mindbodyspiritsynchronicity.com and you can opt in. And originally I had 24 speakers over the course of two weeks that I interviewed different experts on different topics, including Karen, yeah. which was, of course, one of my favorite interviews. <laughs> we had so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, I'm keeping it going once a week after that. Great. That's fantastic. That's great that you're keeping it going. So people have to opt in to, sorry, <laughs> having a coughing fit. People have, <laughs> people have to opt in to listen to the once a week podcast how are you designing it yes they have to opt in (laughs) (laughs) which is something i haven't done with my shows i have to say people don't have to i just offer them free but it is um it doesn't actually it's a bit more logical for people to opt in to you know because you do yeah it's free 
Um, and then you get the emails in your inbox that contain the interviews. Yeah, yeah. Well, hmm. I think that's a brilliant way of doing it. That's not the way I do it. I just make these and I put them out for people to find and nobody has to opt into anything. So if you're watching this and you're um, enjoying it, sign up to my um, mailing list. But I think that what you're doing is much more sensible than the way I've done it. But my passion was to uplift people and um, to share other people's stories. And that was driving me more than my logic, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's working because you're getting out there in the world. and Yeah, it's working. And people do check out the website and they do opt in because uh, of all the work that's been put out there. Yeah, yeah you so, do beautiful work. So any uh, last pearls that you'd like to tell anyone who's suffering with an addiction whether it's a sex addiction or a food addiction or a drug addiction or a negative thinking addiction yeah the biggest thing is to take a step back and take a breath and just ask ask your higher self who you are like who you're meant to be in this lifetime and then listen and know that you're worth it. Like any, I know it seems like an insurmountable thing to overcome an addiction, but it's not. I, I tell you, I was as addicted as they come. And if I can do it, you can do it. And you are worth it. And that's the biggest thing is deciding that you're worth it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always tell people that your higher power, whoever that is, does not create crap. You know, <laughs> And there, there's nothing you can do to add to your self-worth and there's nothing you can do to subtract from it. So you are just worthy of love no matter what, no matter what you've done. There are people who have done the same things as you or worse. So cut yourself some slack, give yourself some love and, and it's okay to ask for help. I mean, that's the courageous thing to do. It's not weak to ask for help. It's courageous. Mm. and you know know that you are loved yeah beautiful Karen you are loved and you are love I think that what you're doing with your series is you know rather than because I relate because I do this rather than making it all about me and you know you and your story and how you can help people you're sharing other people you know you're using that love that you are to share other people's stories in a collaborative sort of more oneness I mean, I know there's a sort of plan behind it to collect emails and that's the sort of strategy, but it's so much work because I do it. I know. Yeah. It's so much work. It's so much time and effort out of your personal coaching work, out of, from your family, from your social, you know, your, your life to, um, to put other people out there on a show. It, I've been doing it for nine years, so I really honour you for that. Oh, and thank you. Yeah, you know, you're coming from that loving space because a few emails, it's, you know, the amount of work that you put into something like that, just to gather a few emails, um, it doesn't sort of make sense. But you, you have to come from a place of love when you do that. I really, I really honor anyone who has shows yeah. uh, uplifting and supporting other people and other light workers and sharing their story. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, but the emails that you get back, um, you know, even if it's one, it makes such a big difference, you know, knowing that you impacted somebody's life. Yeah. Way. You've made a difference. It makes it all worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're listening to this or watching the video and you've been helped by my videos or Karen's videos, email us and tell us how it's made a difference. 
So, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Karen. It's been very fun and um, I love sharing my story. Hopefully it will help somebody out there. Beautiful. God bless you. What did you think of Karen? She's gorgeous. I love that she's so vulnerable in sharing her story. I think she was a little less vulnerable today than the last time I heard her share her story, but we were on camera and it's always vulnerable to be on camera. Um, being on camera for me was very vulnerable, you know, because when we're on the Zoom calls, we're staring at our face, we're staring at ourselves. It's not like you're on the phone or behind a microphone. So it is vulnerable to get really real with yourself. I hope you got a lot out of this uh, show with Karen. She's a beautiful woman. She's doing amazing things. And um, yeah, I, I, like her, I'm not that organized. If you want to sort of opt into my email list, please go to my website and opt in. I send out only one email a month. I, I, sometimes I don't even do that. So I'm not bombarding you with emails. <laughs> Just telling you what's happening, the coaching, the show, the webinars, you know, what's going on and sharing other people's work. I think we're all in this together. It's not about me and how fabulous I am and what a great coach I am, although I still think I'm a great coach or a spiritual mentor or teacher or channel, all that stuff. But we're all in this together and I love sharing other people's journeys. So that's why I reached out to Karen. She reached out to me to share mine. And if you go to her Mind Body Synchronicity, you will see the chat that I had there. She gave me 30 minutes, so I'm blurting out all this information, trying to squeeze it all in in 30 minutes. Uh, you'll see the chat that I have with her. So thanks again for watching the show. I've got the gorgeous Michael Tamora coming up on the show. I think it's next week, might be the week after. Um, he's an amazing spiritual teacher. If you watch the show I did with Bill Bennett about intuition, PGS, your personal guidance system, you know, Bill mentioned an Australian filmmaker who made a doco all about our intuition. He mentioned off the cuff that, of all the people he interviewed, like 86 people, I think, and 29 of them made the film. But of all the people he spoke with, he said that Michael had a big impact on him. So I thought, mm, let me check this man out. And he is amazing. He's in the film. Japanese-born American, or I think he was maybe born in Japan, but spent most of his life in America. And spiritual teachers had three near-death experiences all over the internet, but he... He's a psychic, he communes with spirit, with guides, and we're going to talk about disembodied spirits and how to help them. I have a really interesting story that I'm going to share with you all about that. And we're going to talk about his life journey, his near-death experience. Um, he's somebody that his soul plan was sort of um, finished. I think it was finished. Anyway, we'll find out on the show. And he opted to stay here to be of more service to humanity instead of going home. Like he had the... Um, you know, in one of those, or maybe all three of the near-death experiences, guy said, okay, you've done what you've come to do, you can come home now. And he said, no, I'm still here, I still want to do more work, but he's just this light and joy, he's just wonderful. I'm going to talk to his wife, Raphael, in December too, about spirits with animals. She's had her pet dog reincarnate three times. I've, my cat has been with me three times. We're going to talk about that, how we have these sacred contracts with our animals to be with us. And um, either in spirit or they come back in physical bodies, they never leave us. So we don't have to cry about them when they leave their little bodies because, you know, animals don't live as long as we do and we, all, we get all upset about that. And she's also a psychic medium and an amazing spiritual teacher. Dr. Leo Gallen's coming on the show. He's written a book called I'm Already There about his journey with his 
autistic son. His son, I don't think he was autistic. He, he, was, one of, he was one of triplets and he was um, deprived of oxygen during the birth and he had some brain damage, which, which was mental and physical disabilities. And he died at 22 and Dr. Gallant has been communing with him in spirit and he is just, oh my God, this show, I can't wait for this. The book is amazing, beautiful. So anyway, lots coming up on the show and Penny Kelly in the Inner Sanctum in about two weeks from today. So today is the, what's the, the weekend of november i'm doing this on the 14th it'll come out on the 17th 18th um amazing go and check out my show with penny kelly she's coming in as a guest teacher in the inner sanctum i love penny kelly i say that a lot but she's one of the most amazing people i've met i've spoken to hundreds of people and uh, we're going to talk about consciousness how we create our own reality the plasma field spirit guides her guides astral travel the new earth she can go anywhere that woman she just knows everything she's amazing and um yeah so that's coming up in the inner sanctum so if you want to meet penny join the inner sanctum be part of our little online tribe we get together about once or twice a month and um, once with me and once with a guest teacher and uh we have a great time so uh and remember to get the book awakened by death tell all your friends proceeds go to charity love you all <laughs> thanks for watching bye for now